and welcome to Unlocked and Unrestricted, the podcast all about reigniting your sexuality in the post-lockdown world. This week, I'm talking to Master Peter, a London-based BDSM master, professional dominant and kink educator. We get intimate on what it's really like to be a pro-dominant, what attracts people to BDSM, and really how BDSM isn't always sexual. You'll leave with a ton of top tips on discovering what you might be into, how to confidently explore BDSM in your relationship, and what you can ask of a house dominant when you spot them in a kinky party. We even talk a little about alien insemination. Get ready because you are in for a wild ride. Well, Peter, I am so grateful to have you on Unlocked and Unrestricted. Thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure. Yay. And I would love if you could take a minute just to introduce yourself. Absolutely. Um, So my name is Peter. My pronouns are he, him. And on the scene, I am Master Peter, and I am a professional dominant, a BDSM practitioner and educator, and also a performer and event um, uh, event dominant, mm. if you like, as well. Mm-mm. Oh my God, I love it already. I'm so excited for this episode. And how would you describe your sexuality? I would say that on, on a personal basis, I probably manifest mostly as a as a cis straight male but mm. I think it it's a little bit fluid I think as I've gone on um uh from year to year it, it's probably evolved a little bit so kind of potentially bi-curious I I, I don't mm. know um and then the kind of the kink side of things is it's almost its own sexuality as well yeah um and sometimes a lack of sexuality actually it can be completely asexual as well so that's a whole different facet um, to mm. my life, which usually usually just um, manifests itself in a kind of a professional capacity, actually, more so than a personal one. Mm, I love it. And I love really how that shows that sexuality can be so multifaceted and how we also change and, and evolve over time. And I'm really curious as to how you became a pro-dom, a pro-dominant. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird story. Um, Everyone is hoping to hear some kind of like <laughs> cliched childhood, like you know, um, <laughs> kind of psychoanalytical um, story here. But, but one does not exist. So I got into mm-hmm. I got into BDSM through swing dancing, obviously. Wow. Um, yeah, um, slightly strangely. So I used to teach swing dancing, and I was performing at an event. Um, uh, which was a masquerade ball, which uh, mm. will will I'm sure come back again once uh, once lockdown finishes, and um, it it was a fairly vanilla event. You could go and watch some cabaret and burlesque, do some life drawing, play around with some snakes Love and that. lizards. Uh, and at the beginning of the night, there was a dance class, and there was a swing class, a pole class, a waltz class, and I taught the swing class. And they also put me in this room with all of this BDSM furniture. It was a bit strange because it wasn't necessarily that kind of party. People yeah. weren't really engaging with it in a way that they might at a kink party. Um, and I'd watch and and sit around and have a drink after the dancing. And and people would just take a photo, giggle a bit, and that was it. So, mm. it, so I said to the organiser one day, why don't we run this as a proper dungeon? We'll, we'll create a bit of a spectacle. And she was like, that's a great idea. And I was like, 
crap. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> it's, it's a tale as old as the hills, right? Kind of man decides he has unwarranted confidence in doing <laughs> not qualified to do so i uh, um to my credit at the time i i realized i needed to go and do some training in order to do mm. this performance thing and i went and got some training um from a dominatrix and as i got into that process i realized there was a rabbit hole that i wanted mm. to go down um and uh, i i learned a lot more than i needed to just to do this yeah. gig and when i got to the gig um, and I offered people spankings and floggings and help with the furniture and that kind of thing. People would start coming up to me saying, can you teach my husband how to do this or my girlfriend or whatever? And other people would come up to me and say, uh, I'm really um, curious to try it. Yeah. But for me personally, I don't want to do it in front of other people. So can I come and see you privately? Mm. And it snowballed from there really into, into a career. Uh, so very accidental. And if I ever write a, a book, it will be called The Accidental Dom. Um, I love it. Uh, because that's, yeah, that's how it started. Oh my gosh, I would buy that book instantly. That is such a great story of falling into this profession and finding actually that there's so much curiosity around people exploring these parts of their themselves. And I think it's interesting what you mentioned and I think quite a common misconception there's actually been quite a few research studies and one of the most recent ones has shown that they didn't find any difference between a group of people who were engaged in BDSM and that lifestyle versus those who weren't so I think it's a really common misconception that that people have but I think it's really interesting to hear how you kind of just fell into it yeah and 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 just to just to touch on, on what you said about these um, misconceptions, I think also it's, it's worth drawing a line between um, uh, BDSM and fetish, for example, whereas a fetish mm -hmm. is actually something that's going on in your head where you, you develop a, um, an immediate reaction to the stimuli, right, that many other people might not experience. Yeah. And that is that that's potentially yeah. divergent, right? But actually a lot of BDSM mm -hmm. is just around enjoying different types of power dynamics, enjoying different yeah. sensations, different um fantasies, um, mm -hmm. all of this kind of stuff. And and none of this is 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 particularly wild and out there. And you and you can see that by taking BDSM to a vanilla event like I did and just seeing that the, the absolute queue out the door of people yeah. who are um who are fascinated uh to try and for those of us who might not know um could you describe the term bdsm and vanilla yeah sure um so first of all i'll, I'll just say something about vanilla i don't actually really like it as a word because yeah. to, to me vanilla means flavorless that's the kind of the idea that's the idea, you know, it's like the base flavor, the most boring flavor you can have. And I kind of reject the idea that's actually, that that's actually a thing. Um, mm. In the same way that I find the word normal quite problematic. When people say normal, <laughs> you know, what is normal anyway? And what is vanilla anyway? Um, mm. But it is a word which is used very much in, in 
in in the public domain to uh, to refer to things which are not specifically kinky or not specifically BDSM related. Uh, yeah. So I find myself saying it and then kind of you know chewing on my tongue a little bit afterwards. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, BDSM is a collection of terms which are um, bondage and discipline, domination and submission, sadism and masochism. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of the, uh, the collective family, if you like, of, of things that, that people may be into. So if you're into BDSM, you're not necessarily a sadist or a masochist. If you're into BDSM, you might never want to be tied up. And if you're into BDSM, you might like to do kinky things without a power dynamic. But yeah. likewise, it could include all of those things as well. Yeah, I love that. And that's such a great description. And do you have any top tips for those who are interested in exploring more around BDSM and particularly maybe identifying which elements that they might enjoy or really like? Yeah, sure. So so I've got some general tips about just really exploring what you like in a kind of a sexual or kind of a Mm. kinky context. And, and, And unsurprisingly, this works just as well for non-BDSM related stuff and that's um that's sex menus which I'm sure you've come across uh sex menus are great uh, for this kind of thing because you can uh you can make them kink focused and BDSM focused you just have Mm. effectively a uh a list of every kinky uh fetishy thing you can think of um as an inventory Uh, and then and then the idea of a sex menu is that you then classify those and the types of classification are um, things I really enjoy, things I fantasize about, things that I would like to try but haven't yet, things that I like with a new partner, things that I like with a, an existing partner, things which I really don't want to try or I have concerns mm. about. And then you, um, you, you fill that out. And if you're in a couple, you still fill it out by yourself because otherwise yeah. you get false positives. You look over somebody's shoulder and uh-huh. they put, they're really interested in something. You're, going to put, <laughs> you're not interested in, in it at all. And then you go, well, maybe I'll go somewhere in the middle. <laughs> um, and and that, 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 that doesn't work, you know. So you've got to do it yeah. by yourself, but then you can uh, have fantastic conversations with your, mm-hmm. your partner or, or a new lover or something like that, where you're like, we have both put, we're, we fantasize about pissing on someone and we've never done that. Mm-hmm. And like we would never get into this conversation because there's so much, um, it feels so exposed to talk about yeah. kinks, you know, much more so than, than a lot of sexuality. So we would never have had that conversation except that we've, we've, we've filled out this, um, this kinky sex menu. And now, now we've got a vocabulary and the license to, to begin exploring these things with another person. So that's, that's a, a great yeah. tip. Um, but from a BDSM perspective, I guess my other tips are really to um, seek out your local kinky community, find out what's mm. what's going on, what groups are there, particularly the social groups that allow you to have a soft landing. Um, things like munches, which is effectively yeah. a social without any BDSM play involved, and um, and and go and attend and and just just start to find find out who who are the people in your local community, what, what they're into, you know, who feels like a good person to, to, uh, to start a friendship with, what groups are there on social media networks like that life and stuff for your local area, uh, what 
particular play parties or events are available, uh, particularly suited for newcomers and people mm. who are just starting out in that kind of area. And also what kind of educators out there um, exist who do workshops for people who want, for example, an introduction to King Corbidi Sam, um, and people such as myself who, who um, enjoy putting on curriculum and, and events for people who are curious but not experienced. Yeah, I love that. And I really do recommend if you have a chance to go check out Master Peter's workshops uh, because they are sublime and a really great introduction into, into this space. So I'm curious, what do you feel attracts people to the world of BDSM? When you consider BDSM, I, I think there's three main aspects which are attractive to people. Uh, uh, one of them is invariably the, the sexual side of things. It's, it's yeah. part of their sexuality. It's, it arouses them. It's, it's part of how, how they get off. Um, for other people, it's the more psychological side of things where they, 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 want, to, um, mm. they want to play with a, a role that they don't get to uh, play with in everyday life or they mm. want to invert you know, a power dynamic, yeah. you know, the cliche is a company director who wants to call around on the floor and drink from a dog bowl and that kind of thing. Um, and, 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 and maybe there's, there is a certain kind of release and a kind of a, uh, a healing to that side of things. Um, in, in another fashion, um, people come to BDSM for the physicality of it. Mm. And, uh, and there's a chemical cocktail that, you know you're dealing with when you deal with hands-on BDSM because you've got oxytocin you know the, the love chemical released yeah. from all of a kind of a touch uh you've got um things like dopamine reward chemical which you get at yeah. the end of a session and and particularly um endorphins which mm. are released and can surge to quite high levels and can even um, get into um, endorphin shock type territory, which is actually what people colloquially call subspace. Yeah. And, um, and all of these, these different aspects can have different healing aspects yeah. to them, I think. Uh, for example, I have, I have some clients who come for a completely non-sexual um, uh, service mm. and experience. And for them, it's about resetting their brain um, and they do that with the cathartic release of a really kind of therapeutic, pretty heavy impact play session, where yeah. at the end of it, you know, they're, they're pushed all the way to their kind of their limits, but in a, in a kind of a gradual, fairly kind of caring way. And mm. at the end of it, it's a little bit like they've run a marathon and, you know, at some point their legs have turned to jelly and they can't feel parts of their body anymore. Uh, and as they cross yeah. that finish line and they're allowed to, um, mm. to, to, to stop, um, then they have this cathartic release, which mm. allows them to float home and then sleep for 12 hours. Um, and, mm. you know, and I, I work with some, some gay women who, for that, that, that side of things is completely non-sexual, you know, yeah. but it's incredibly healing, restorative for them. Whereas other people, you know, come because, they want that quality of touch and it is incredibly sexual mm. for them. Um, mm. And they want to be, they want a 90 minutes or a couple of hours of somebody um, completely focused on their entire body and their entire self and their entire sexuality. 
And so that, that can be an incredibly emotive healing experience as well. I love that. I love that those different dimensions of the psychological, physical, and the sexual. Um, and I also recommend checking out Peter's website because he has a little session planner where you can explore those three elements and which what then what you might like to explore within the the BDSM space. And I remember using that and being like, oh, I didn't know this was me. And yes, I am really into that. Thank you, Peter. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, right? Yeah. So I, I realized that if you've got these three dimensions and you wanted to um, be able to choose between like mm. one and three on each dimension, I had to write 27 different descriptions in total. And at some point, I think I probably had a little mental break and just went, went into kind of, you know, la-la land because I, I remember writing one of them, which was, I think it was fairly high on the sexual side of things, but also kind of you know, medium in like physicality and and psych- psychology. And I think I called it the soggy bottom. <laughs> and I went into a whole British Bake Off um, uh, kind of laden uh, laden description, um, which uh, which got a bit silly. But but you know, jokes aside, I do think that the multifaceted nature of BDSM is one of the things that makes it so attractive and so appealing mm. to people. Mm. And mm. the fact that you can dial things up or down is um, is is great. And and the reason that people come to a professional for this is because they know that they're paying money for for their own their their yeah. own classification of whatever mm-hmm. they want to be the thing that's most important rather than having to meet somebody else's needs at the same time. And unfortunately, in the free, the free kink economy, there's a lot of that, yeah. right? Two people, yeah. you know, how do you know that what you want is, is compatible with what somebody else wants? Um, and, and, and that's why professionals exist to really, you know, to, to take away that conundrum. Absolutely. So empowering um, to be able to have the agency and choose your own fantasy and know that it's going to be fulfilled in a professional and super satisfying, sexy, potentially sexy, if that's what you want, way. Um, And I'd be really curious to know what one of your favorite things about being a pro dominant is. I think I think for me, um, it's incredibly horizon broader because I keep mm. meeting people who are into different things and have a different different outlook on all of this. And so um, it pushes myself, it pushes my own boundaries, it pushes my own understanding of, of, of people to be in this privileged position where people, you know, the first part of a session with a new client is a, is a consultation chat where I really mm. try and get under the surface of what they're all about and what they want and everything. And every time I have that chat, I feel like I learn a little bit more about human condition and I learn more about wow. humans generally. And that's, that's incredibly um, enjoyable and a real privilege. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think human beings are fascinating and we are all so sexually diverse we all experience the world and our own sexuality so differently and I think it's just really powerful to have a space where people can really play with that and play in that all kind of together and I know I know that you have your own private dungeon um, and I would love to talk a little bit about that so uh, dungeon is a very BDSM 
kind of term and mm. uh sometimes i i oscillate between that and play space because i play think, space yeah. um i think dungeon usually brings to mind this idea of kind of medieval mm. um torture chamber with like chains hanging from the walls and you know the mm. groans of the damned emanating from under the floorboards um yeah. and and sometimes the moans of the damned definitely do emanate from underneath <laughs> the floorboards i'm not gonna lie uh, but but but, uh, it, but but the thing with my my play space is that it is um, it's purposefully a little bit more contemporary and mm. it's a, and versatile as well. So uh, I've been to loads of dungeons around London, and the the theme, the trends with all of them is that they are just packed full of every kind of kinky. Mm um thing that you can imagine and i get it because you know you, you want to know that if you book space in the dungeon yeah. time in the dungeon you like anything that you might want is available to you but at the same time they they start to look a little bit like a kind of bric-a-brac shop for kinky things <laughs> and and you're, you're there and like you know it's like somebody has hoarded like every kinky thing they've ever bought BDSM over, over 30 40 years and <laughs> i'm sure in some cases that's literally what's happened yeah. in there but for me it was important to have a space that felt um more spacious uh more sleek more modern so uh i of course have sexy um kinky furniture in now i've got a nice st Saint andrew's cross where mm. people can stand up yep. and have their arms and legs shackled to something uh, a spanking bench. Um, there's, I've got a kind of kinky bondage massage table now as well, mm -mm. because a great um, collaborator of mine, um, Seren, Seren Sins, she uh, does bondage massage um, wow. uh, from my space. And uh, um, uh, and, and so we, we have that set up now as well. There's a little kind of day bed down there, which can be turned into more of a kind of a domestic type couch type feel to it with like a throw and cushions and that kind of thing. Uh, and there is also a kind of a Philips Hue lighting system, which can be changed all the way from dark mm. red, um, uh, you know, kind of old school Berlin dungeon to like, yeah. you know, nice lilac floor tones <laughs> for a more kind of a, a more homely feel. So uh, mm. so, so it's, it's pretty pretty malleable to, to, to what people want, you know, and that's why other, other doms can, um occasionally hire it and yeah um, have small groups in there as well i've done some kinky life drawing in there yeah um and uh you know small parties back when those were permitted and mm. uh as well as a kind of a private session work from there as well yeah amazing oh my gosh that sounds like such a, a sexy space and do you have oh do you have a favorite piece of furniture and a favorite toy i'd be really curious oh so uh favorite furniture it's got to be the spanking bench it's just you know i'm such a spanker and you know mm -hmm. it's quite fun to put people over your knee but sometimes um you prefer to use a spanking bench and it's just it's just very good for that puts people in the perfect position for it uh in terms of favorite toy so um i'll, I'll give you two answers to that my favorite toy that i use all of the time is a flogger um, I love flogging and I've got a whole bunch of beautiful floggers, many of them uh, 
have you know I've owned for years and years and years mm. develop a real kind of relationship with them they're kind of they're almost part of your arm mm. once you've used them for long yes. enough and so I have a I, I have a couple of vloggers, which are my go-to ones, which I just adore. Um, the, the other toy that I have is a toy I've never used yet. Uh, oh. And I am just, uh, I'm just really excited to get the first person who wants to use it in a, in a kind of a setting. Um, I watched a, an insane documentary about random and weird fetishes. Yes. And one of the fetishes that I discovered was alien insemination um, as a fetish. Uh, so I am the proud wow. owner of a custom-made ovipositor. An ovipositor <laughs> is an alien dildo that uh, you can use to lay a gelatin-based egg inside of Oh, someone. my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So I have this, I have this wonderful thing um, that lays, uh, lays gooey eggs in people. And I have the the mold for making the eggs and everything as well. Wow. And I'm just waiting for the person who comes to me and goes, Master Peter, I want you to lay eggs in. And I'll be like, great. Well, who knows? After this podcast, I think there might be, you might <laughs> find that someone so that is their their kink, their fantasy. And okay, I have to ask, what are the eggs made out of? So the ones uh the 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 uh the recommended recipe. Um, mm. uses gelatin actually which of course mm -hmm. isn't great for people who are vegan or vegetarian um yeah, right. but it's but it's 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 made out of that because it's got the right texture and consistency mm. and degrades as well so in the unlikely event that something gets stuck inside you it will it will it will dissolve sufficiently to come out um without any issues uh i am um, i'm on a hunt at the moment for some um entirely plant-based alternatives i'm sure there are some out there i need yeah. to find a vegan who, who who understands the issue well enough to, <laughs> to, to advise i'm not sure i could just go on mum's net or something <laughs> um, but uh but but yeah but, but i might i might be able to find a non-gelatin alternative definitely so if there are any vegans out there who are curious about alien insemination um this is a call out for your services thank you <laughs> <laughs> i love it so much well i am so excited for the wonderful human being who is going to get to experience that and i know um I know I've seen you in action with a flogger and it is an absolute sight to behold. It genuinely looks like it is an extension of, of yourself. Yeah. I, I, I feel like um, one of the things that has, um, has just been consistent from the dancing to the BDSM is, is kind of body movement actually, funnily mm -hmm. enough. And one of the things that people say to me when I'm out and about at events, Dominic, you know, I've had somebody go up to me and go, you look like you're dancing. I'm like, oh, funnily enough, that's what I mm. kind of used to do. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, and in fact, actually, um, I used to teach a class called How to Have a Memorable Partner Dance. And now I teach a class mm. called How to Have a Memorable Impact Play Session. And do you know what, Rosa? It's the same class. I've just changed a few of the words. Because <laughs> it turns wow. out that... Um, that the way that humans connect with each other yeah. is kind of universal. 
and the, and the mm -hmm. things that that make for memorable really good connective experiences between two people are also universal it doesn't matter if your partner dancing or if you're mm. you're um you're spanking each other um there are some some things that just translate incredibly well that's beautiful and and what is it that helps create those those memorable partnered experiences so i think uh when I, when i talk about impact play and um, so impact play for your listeners, uh, if, if you're not familiar with it, is effectively hitty things. So spanking, <laughs> flogging, yeah. cropping, all of those kind of things. And it can be very sensual and light um, mm. and pleasure focused, or it can be um, uh, more, more into the kind of a pain side of things and, and you know, really be mm. targeting people who are more masochistic uh, and, then, and uh, everywhere in between. So it's a real spectrum. But impact play for me... Um, works uh, best when you apply certain principles to it so when I teach it it's mm. not necessarily a technique class it's not like this is a handshake for spanking which of course I do teach <laughs> but it, it's also about what are the concepts to make it work really well and the three concepts that I talk about most are anticipation yeah. surprise and contrast and these mm. three things when you harness them and use them to their best effect can create an amazing uh, memorable hour or, or longer um, mm. together with somebody in a way that you know would if you didn't have those things would be abrupt or monotonous or you know not not quite so memorable yeah mm, anticipation surprise and what was the final one contrast contrast mm, contrast okay. yeah yes yes it's this idea that like uh um changing things over time and taking somebody on a journey is is is, a, is an important part of what I do you know and it's not just one road where you can see the end in sight because what's the um mm. what's the fun in that it's Absolutely. about winding turns and cul-de-sacs and Ooh. southern precipices and you know I call it the kinky roller coaster Ah, <laughs> I love the kinky roller coaster and and I mean talking about that journey that that you can take people on when you're typically in session say with a client what does that journey look like it well it very much depends on the conversation we have at the beginning so mm. um I want to understand what their expectations are their motivations their boundaries their limits um, all of these kind of things, their state of mind on the day. Uh, yeah. and, and all of that um, helps to define the, uh, the content of that session. Now, ultimately, I'm, I'm the person who's usually driving that. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. the person who's topping and, and in many cases, doming. And there is a distinction yeah. and the distinction is power dynamics. I'm doming somebody if there is a distinct power dynamic and I'm um, topping them if there isn't a power dynamic. I'm just a person who happens to be doing to somebody. Um, yeah. And uh, it, yeah, it can vary wildly. They might have come to me and said, I'm a consummate masochist and I want a really kind of heavy impact play session mm -hmm. with lots of sensation play. And I want you to just kind of hurt me in delicious, delectable ways. Mm. Um, uh, and it will be an incredibly kind of physical, primal type type um session or they might come to me and say um i have a real problem relinquishing control um and i need to get out of my 
prepared and I need to um, I I need to experience a kind of a lack of control and mm. that kind of session may be completely the opposite it might be it might be but I barely touched them and a lot yeah. of the session is is based around this idea of restriction and constraints and um, mm. rules and protocol and um, and and different elements of discipline and control. So, mm-hmm. you know, the great thing about BDSM is it's incredibly varied. I almost feel like I'm healing by by listening to you talk because that, as as a fellow uh, control freak over here and finding it difficult to relax, that actually having handing that power and being able to surrender to someone else. I can even I can already feel like my nervous system just listening to you like it starts relaxing being like mm, that sounds great like let me give <laughs> give over the power give over and just relax and surrender into the experience so I know you mentioned and and have talked about working in other clubs as a is it like a dungeon master or as a dominant on hand how would you define that and what does that involve so often there's one of two roles um uh, the first role is a house dominant and the second Mm -hmm. role would be a monitor of some description Mm -hmm. so as a house dominant i am hired to to be hands-on and to create play opportunities for people to do small sessions and scenes with people to introduce people to things that they've not tried before or to give them in the moment coaching on things Mm. um and uh, and that's a role that i i very much enjoy um uh and kind of matches my enjoyment of 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 introducing people to things you know which is yeah it's, it's it's definitely quite a big big um aspect of what i enjoy about all of this the the other side of things which is equally important is um is monitoring so Mm. um i'm often employed as a um as a play space monitor or dungeon monitor or whatever you want to call it um and that role involves effectively looking after everybody and being there to not play but to observe to watch and in rare occasions when necessary to intervene and, and yeah. deal with something that I see. And, and that's often, it's just about, you know, just safeguarding really, making sure mm. that everybody's playing within their own capability, everything's mm. consensual, everything is is good. Um, sometimes, you know, problems happen, not because of any kind of malice or ill will, but just mm. because of a lack of experience and somebody starts doing something that, um, in my experience, it is potentially unsafe. So I'll go and I'll go and just address it and maybe in the moment coach them on how to do mm. it on a more safe kind of way. Yes. And I think that's so important. I was talking with Alex, who runs Crossbreed um, in a previous episode. Go check that out if this is your first time here. And we were talking about how to create these safer spaces at kink parties, sex parties, fetish nights. Peter, honestly, like to help people help educate and coach others to help them learn so that they can play safer in the future. I think is something that is a much more powerful way of calling people in rather than calling people out and kind of just booting them at the club and and things like that. So I'm, that absolutely warms my heart to hear that that 
is going on in helping create these safe spaces where people can feel more, even more comfortable to explore their desires, their fantasies. Absolutely. And uh, long may it continue. So I was wondering if you had any advice to someone who is maybe attending a sex party or a kink party which have these play spaces or dungeon spaces how they might go about approaching a house dominant if there's something they're interested in trying yeah sure well i i i think that approaching a house dominant should should be like a really kind of easy thing to do and i appreciate the mm. fact that for some people it isn't um, I always find feedback like, oh, you look a bit intimidating, you know, whatever, as it's kind of strange because I don't I don't see myself necessarily as that kind of intimidating person, which I know sounds strange because I'm a professional dominant life, but if you get to know me, you'll understand that I'm a very affable, kind of friendly, always smiling type of guy. Yeah. So when people go like, oh my God, like, yeah. I'm terrified of going up to you. I find that quite funny. But honestly, yeah. if you see somebody who is clearly house dominant, i.e. they are wearing some kind of official badge and it's clear that they're part of the event team, then literally their only job is to be approached by people. So they will be absolutely um, uh, overjoyed to have somebody come up to them and engage with them and ask some questions and uh, and potentially ask, mm. ask for for, for a scene or something like that and they will be also incredibly um uh, clear with you if it's something that they can't do as well mm. um so you know uh nothing nothing venture nothing gained is, is what i'd say so that's my tip about house dominance the other thing that's useful is if you are at an event which has a and a play space um within mm. it is just acquaint yourself with with the rules and the conduct expected in that place beforehand you know, so um, so you don't kind of make any missteps. And I say that because even though you might um, you might assume that there is a kind of a consistent code of conduct across all of these spaces, that, that's not actually the case. Different clubs might might allow or disallow different things depending yeah. on the nature of that club and the audience of that club and that kind of thing. Uh, and so it's really good just to kind of make sure that you have, you're completely au okay with what's expected of you in that space and expected of other people so that you can, mm. um, you can, you can act appropriately, but also you, you understand what you're looking at and you understand if somebody else um, acts in a certain way, that that is either appropriate or inappropriate as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and great advice. And I'd be curious, um, what are the sorts of things that people could ask for in in a scene typically from from a house dominant and of course this can vary from party to party and and dominant to dominant um but yeah I'd be really curious yeah absolutely and and I think first of all it, it's important to say that not all events have house dominance sometimes yes. they just have monitors and uh and if you approach a monitor and ask them to do a scene they will they will look incredibly pained, not because they don't appreciate the approach, but because they'd love to do a scene with you probably. But they can't. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and you, you just you're, you're you're tempting them um, away from their important role of watching everything and making sure everything's safe. Um, however, if it's clear that people are house dominant, um, then the types of things that you know they'll they'll probably be quite happy to do is 
is is kind of impact play, sensation play, things mm. that are going to take, you know, a kind of like 10, 15, 20 minutes in duration, yeah. but are not going to take kind of like, you know, 40, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour plus, um, yeah. because they can't, they, they just can't devote that amount of time to 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 one person at, a, at an event. Um, what's also important is to to understand that, you know, if, if they do do a scene with you, then they're, they're entering into an agreement to kind of, you know, look after you during that time, look after your boundaries, but also to provide aftercare to you in the event that you need it. And for that reason, it's unlikely that they're going to go into anything too extreme or too intense yeah. with you, because um, if you're left in a, in a, in a wonderful but quivery wreck mm. at the end and need kind of, you know, 15 minutes of, of aftercare, then that's also time that they have to, to, to take into account as well. Um, and when I've been a house dominant and I said yeah. no to people, it's often because what, they, what they've wanted is something that I know is going to be a longer, more intense scene. Or, for example, mm-hmm. they have a, like, you know, this one person who I love playing with, but their aftercare requirement is a 30-minute chat. <laughs> and I yeah. just, you know, at an event, it's very difficult to kind of build that into your evening. So, uh, so, you know, I tend to say no, which protects both them and me. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you're saying about aftercare, because I think another almost misconception around BDSM is that it's just like the scene, the, the kind of fantasy that's played out or the experience that you both engage in, but actually like a really core part as well is, is aftercare. And I wondered if you could just describe a little bit about what aftercare really means and why it's important. Yeah, absolutely. So aftercare is, um, is very much what it says on the tin is care that you provide at the end or after a session Mm. and um, the care is usually for the person who's been bottoming or or subbing but actually everybody often needs needs some form of care in the scene Um, there is such a thing as as top drop the idea that Mm. or dom drop the idea that um, uh, the person who is in that that kind of that dominant um, role or, or or is topping in the scene also might have some needs might 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 suddenly encounter a bit of a drop at the end because of all of that yeah. chemical cocktail we yes. were talking about earlier um it can take many different shapes and forms and everybody's different so that's why it's useful to ask people what their aftercare requirements typically are and if they don't mm-hmm. know to give them an idea of some of the things that could come up for them it could be as simple as just giving them a good um, drink of water or some sugary snacks to replace some of that kind yes. of blood sugar levels. Yes. It could be that they need to um, have a really good cuddle. You know, that's a very mm. common one. Or maybe they need to curl up in a fetal position and be left alone for 10 minutes. Or maybe they need to verbally process things with you and have a bit of a verbal debrief. Um, and as I say, it can kind of, it can change from, from person to person, but it's incredibly important to leave the time for it and to be open to it um and um and this is why i think bdsm and and, and doming and topping um is actually something that requires a good amount of empathy and compassion actually yeah and those are not words you necessarily kind of relate to bdsm if you're on the outskirts looking in right who would have thought that like compassion is one of the most important attributes for a good dom but it's kind of true um 
and, uh, and, and, you know, this is what differentiates, I think, really good doms and really good tops from natural mm. sadists whose mm-hmm. kind of main preoccupation is about literally hurting other people, which can be problematic if it's not kind of done in a way that involves a, a level of kind of care for them afterwards as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that 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 just really brings it home for that. There are so many misconceptions around BDSM and the people who practice BDSM. And I just think it's fascinating that that actually this has been considered something that might be fairly like rare or unusual for people to have these fantasies. But it's actually so much more common than we think. And I know one of your favorite things to do is introduce people who may experience themselves as I know I'm going to use the word um, vanilla to this exciting world of, of BDSM. What is it that you love about this? Well, I think for me, it's, you know, I've, I've been privileged in my life to have lots of kind of light bulb moments where I've gone, oh, my God, this is like so interesting. Mm. It happened when I started dancing. It happened when I started doing the kink type stuff. Mm. Um, and it's happened with lots of other kind of little things, you know, in, in, in between as well. And each of those times I've been absolutely thrilled and delighted. And some of those times I've been like, I wish I had been. I, mm. I knew about this like, you know, a year ago, 10 years ago, what have you, you know, sometimes you feel like you've found something that you were missing and you can't believe that you've gone through yeah. so much time without it. And so for <laughs> me, I, I love the idea that I can be the kind of the catalyst in, in people's um, journey of discovery. And, uh, and, and as I say, it's a real privilege to, to be in that kind of role. Um, and the reward that I get beyond the, the obvious monetary awards and everything else is the mm. reward of knowing that, you know, that these things are actually changing people's lives, you know, in, yeah. we, in, in a very kind of immodest way. Um, yeah. But they, they, they absolutely are. Maybe it's changing their love lives. Maybe it's changing their, their whole life in some kind of way. Mm. Um, mm. And that's kind of feedback that I get um, on, a, on a relatively regular basis. So, you know, there's not much more in terms of job satisfaction that you can have than, than hearing how you've, um, you know, made that kind of impact on someone. I think that's absolutely amazing. Really, really helping others unlock these different sides of their sexuality and give them, giving them that freedom to explore and ignite these different elements of themselves, either just for themselves or in their relationships, I think is oh it's just it's just phenomenal what a gift what an absolute gift and I can only imagine the the satisfaction that that comes that comes with that and just thinking as well um how could people feel more confident exploring BDSM in their relationships um I think uh I think really great communication skills is part of it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think stigma is also incredibly important and this is where kind of a broader community of people and and of course the internet of things really does help um because you you get to see that like what you're interested in is not weird and it's not unique and you know and you can go on places like fat life um and and see that like you know that eighty thousand other people have also listed the same fetish as you and you're like oh okay maybe I do have a tribe 
I'm um, not alone. Yeah, no, I'm not alone in, in my weird fantasies. So, so I think I think that's um, that's useful. That definitely helps contextualize what you're you're potentially interested in in, in the broader world mm. because it can feel quite lonely to to be the kind of the kinky person amongst a group of people who like you know you only have sex with lights off you know in mm-hmm. in one position uh, for the rest of our lives um and and yeah. i think um I, so 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 yeah so finding your tribe helps um the the other thing i i mentioned already is sex menus and that, you know having a kind of yeah. a greater vocabulary and a license to start mm. expressing you know your desires and your interests and your fantasies and also mm. the things that you don't want or don't like so much um, with another person is is very liberating and very uh, enabling as well and empowering um so and, and then and then the kind of a third and final you know suggestion really mm. is is you know just keep learning i think i think this is one of those things um and one of those areas where you can embark on a delicious journey of lifelong yes. learning about about sex about kink about bdsm uh, um uh, all of those those things um and there are so many fantastic people out there who mm. um are providing learning content and you know workshops online courses podcasts such as yourself individual coaching sessions you know all of those kind of different formats which are available to people and uh i i i just think you know there should be kind of like a kink university and a sex university like why yes. genuinely why do people go and spend three years in kind of leicester or something learning like you know geography or history or something and not learning sex <laughs> agreed um, yeah, I really, I really love that, like that piece around, around communication, finding a deeper understanding and getting the vocabulary around your desires and then being able to explore and learn and also find and, and find your tribe and, and build your community. You'd be, well, amazed, but to find that you really aren't alone. Um, there will be other people who experience the same desires, have the same or similar fantasies. And before we finish up, I would love to know what's one thing that you wish everyone knew about being a pro-dominant? That's a really difficult one. I guess I wish everybody, it's a bit of a kind of a paradoxical one, because even though I don't have sex with clients, I wish people understood that they were sex workers, because sometimes people don't consider them as sex workers. And I find mm. that very strange. Um, mm. uh, and, and, you know, and the flip side to that is I wish everybody understood that BDSM itself is not inherently sexual. Um, yes. Uh, it can be, and many times it is, but, it, but for many people also it, it isn't, and that's great and that's fine. And... Um, and, and and so understanding that nuance is is something that I wish everybody knew. Yeah. If I have learnt anything on my journey on this earth and also into the realms of being a sex lover relationship coach and educator is never make assumptions about anything about um someone's sexuality, someone's desires, what BDSM is always going to be one thing. We we as humans like to create these stereotypes and heuristics, which are kind of um, habit rules in our brains. Um, but actually, when we when we do that, we potentially close ourselves off to 
all of these different like facets and possibilities within the realms of our our sexuality and even our gender and and all of that so I I just I always come back to never make assumptions it's like my own mantra and I think exactly as we've been talking about in this episode is like just BDSM is so multifaceted that if you're making these sort of assumptions then you might be missing some like really joyous deep pleasurable elements that that would be really exciting to explore how can people find more of you um, and book in a session a workshop um everything so uh, you can find my website at masterpeter.co.uk where I have details of many of the workshops that I do, also um, sessions, also hiring the play space that I have. I'm also uh, the head of curriculum at fetish.com, which have just mm-hmm. launched a, a, new, um, uh, a new academy for, uh, for all things kinky. So it's a BDSM um, training school. Um, of which I guess I'm the headmaster <laughs> and ah! <laughs> uh, you can go and find some amazing courses on, on fetish.com uh, as well um, that, that I've, I've produced or I've curated um, from some of my, my kinky friends. Uh, so those are the, the two places to go. Um, my socials are Master Peter LDN on Twitter and Master Peter London on Instagram, although I'm pretty bad at uh, content updates. Ah. So uh, don't, don't go there for a constant stream of smut because you will not be uh, <laughs> you will not be gratified. I love that. I am so excited about the launch of this academy. I cannot wait to go and check that out and explore all of the kinky resources. I will put links, of course, to everything down below. So go check it out. So, Peter, I would love to know what gets you unlocked. (laughs) Well, actually, um, people might not initially uh, guess this, but I'm a complete service top which effectively means that what i love and and probably what actually makes me successful as as a professional actually is uh is giving other people experiences so what really unlocks me is is noticing and reveling in the the reactions of people to kind of kinky stimuli that i put them through Uh, i get incredibly um activated and unlocked as you call it by, uh, mm-hmm. by, by seeing that what I'm doing um, has, no pun intended, a real impact. Um, and fr- from that perspective, I am a complete corruption fetishist. That's my, that's my fetish. It's corrupting the innocent. <laughs> and, I um, love it. And, and yeah, and, and unlocking them, essentially, I would say. Uh- That is fierce and fiery. I have loved every single second of this episode and our conversations. I am so, so grateful to you coming on today to talk all about being a pro-dominant in the world of BDSM. Thank you so, so much for your time. Sending you lots and lots of love. Thank you so much. Been a real pleasure. That 
brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe to never miss an episode. Up next, we've got all things about sex parties, sexual massage, tantra, perfectionism, and so much more to reignite your sexuality. If you enjoyed today's topic, make sure you check out my website, www.rosamaxwell.co.uk and follow me on Instagram at Rosa Maxwell, where you will get so much more free sex education. And if you're interested in exploring more about what unlocks you sexually, understanding more about your desires, I am a sex, love and relationship coach and that is kind of my jam or anything else that has touched you in today's episode, just reach out, book some time in my diary, and I would love to support you in your own journey of gaining more confidence and experiencing more pleasure in your sex life, love life, and relationship. And I can't wait to see you on the next episode of Unlocked and Unrestricted.